Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Hope by Klaatu. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, welcome. We like to chat about records new and old that have been historically associated with or adjacent with progressive rock music. And we got a lot of things happening here in the Prog Notes world. Uh, for example, if you're, ba- if you're a fan of band interviews, I uh, would highly suggest you checking out our uh, interview podcast called Prognotes Spotlight. The link of that is in the description at linktree.com slash prognotes. We also have a Patreon. You can support us there. We also have a Discord. You can join to chat with other music lovers and prog rock lovers all over the world. So we always want to say thank you to our patrons for helping us continue to create these episodes. I want to give a special shout out to one of our patrons, Paradigm Dream Space. It is much appreciated. Thank you, man. Hope is Klaatu's second album released on September 12th, 1977 by Capitol Records. This record won a Juno Award for the Best Engineered Album and a Canadian Music Critics Award for the Best Album that same year. And Hope was arranged and produced by Klaatu and Terry Brown, which, Drew, you know who Terry Brown is. We're pretty familiar with good old Terry. Yeah. Fun fact about Terry for this record, Terry was recording a Farewell to Kings at the same time as mm. Hope. So Klaatu was able to come into the studio during the off hours of the studio. Both records were in the midst of recording during June of 1977, and they were released the same month too, September of 1977, both of those albums. And so um, pretty cool that... Uh, he won an award for this, but also was doing stuff with Rush, which, you know, we're big yeah. Rush nuts. So, uh, yeah, gotta love that. Klaatu is a Canadian progressive rock trio group from Toronto that formed in 1973. Uh, Rush, um, anyway, the band features John Wolaschuk on vocals, bass, and keyboards, D Long on vocals and guitar, and Terry Draper on vocals and percussion. The album also features the London Philharmonic Orchestra, and they named themselves after the extraterrestrial Klaatu portrayed by Michael Rennie in the 1951 film The Day the Earth Stood Still. In the movie, Klaatu and a robotic policeman named Gort came to Earth from another planet. I just love that name. They came to Earth from another planet to warn the countries on Earth about the dangers of their wars, or else the human race will be obliterated. The band ran with this fictional character and began including this space-age persona in their press releases, their lyrics, and their marketing. And I believe that it's really important to note here that the band members did not reveal their identities on album covers or in magazines. The only visual information fans were exposed to was the album art of Ted Jones, which I do have to applaud him for. The album work for Klaatu's stuff is pretty great. This is because the trio hoped to maintain private lives while creating music. According to the band, I found this. They said that they wanted people to focus on the music as opposed to who created it. And and we'll come back to that later. But before we go uh, into just uh, some story, there's there's a story behind Klaatu. Drew, uh, critics, reviews, what do people have to say about this record? It's a a cult classic for sure. Yeah. Uh, Prague Archives gives it a collective score of 3.97 out of 5. Now, that's out of a whopping 197 users. Right. Uh, right. This is not this is not a very well-known album compared to a lot of the other 
a lot of the re- other records we've covered on the show. I mean, there there are lesser known ones we've also covered on this show, but this one's definitely. I mean, <laughs> it's in the same realm of yeah, not of, really of, being known. Yeah, yeah. Thirty one percent gave it a perfect score, a five out of five. Wow. Forty four percent gave it a four out of five, which is still very strong. So seventy five percent of listeners who ranked it on Prague Archives think that this album's pretty great. So. Uh, I think it's one of those situations that, like, if you know, you know, you, you know, right, right. If you know, you know, you know, no, yeah. I, I know what you mean. So uh, user Mani gave it a four out of five and he claimed it's possibly the most unappreciated album in history. I'm so glad back. he said that. I'm going to come back to that later. That's so this good. Is, okay. This is written back and that was he posted that in 2004. So that was a while ago. But yeah. Um, he also said, Hope is not only one of the best concept albums ever created, it's arguably among the best produced albums ever created. The production mm. is simply breathtakingly impossible. Yes, they channel the Beatles, Pink Floyd and Super Tramp, but they admit that. And what they come up with is clearly more influence and tribute than it is ripoff. So, I, uh, yeah, very strong words there because uh, I'm sure lots of people thought that they and we'll get to this later. We're, mm-hmm. we're basically just, uh, you know, a, a ripoff. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. A ripoff right. of, of some of these more popular, more well-known artists of the late sixties and early seventies. Um, another user, uh, Griffin poet gave it a perfect score. Um, and he said, I would call this work their masterpiece. Mm. Uh, another user had said, it's the melding of musical style. Sorry. Sorry said the melding of musical styles is complex and remarkable. And he said, it's one of the most creative concept albums of all time. That person also gave it a a five out of five. Um, All music. uh, The official score was a four out of five while the user score of, of which there were 20 people who voted on it total (laughs) gave it a slightly higher score 4.5 out of five. I love how like unknown this is. Or just people just not rating it for some reason. Well, I don't think, I think it is one of those, like, if you know, you know, but the, like, you have to say that because not that many people knew about, I didn't know about this until you said, Hey, let's do an episode on this. Like I, I, I had never heard of this group ever. So anyways, the, the, the official reviewer for the site for, for all music, Dave Slegger, uh, he, he, he wrote Klaatu frequently alternated between Beatles esque pop, the showy guitar, rock, and vocal theatrics of early Queen, and the electronic orchestral techniques pioneered by Walter Carlos, or worked all three into the structure of a four or five minute song. Mm. They reached the creative peak on the second album, Hope, which implemented all of the above in a very creative and effective manner, but was predictably dismissed by the music press as being overindulgent and pretentious. Mm. And he said their subsequent releases were downright ghastly pop rock affairs that lacked originality and made their early 80s demise a welcome occurrence. Wow. So he liked this stuff. uh, But uh, yeah, uh, their later stuff apparently was super, super pop oriented. Now, these are all glowing reviews for the most part. People are like, hey, this was unknown. But if you were fortunate enough to stumble upon it, you had a real gem here. A rainbow should shoot out every time you open it. Yeah. Someone right. else had said this was on kind of a, a louder sound retrospective. It's putting it a little too generously. It, it was a little <laughs> blurb about it. Sure. Um, and then a bunch of people kind of commenting on it. And so, so one person 
really hated this record. Oh boy. Said, released in 1977, this sounds 10 years out of date already and seems to have missed out on the progress in music during that period. Although there is a nine-minute song, this is not progressive rock in any meaningful sense. Compare it to A Farewell to Kings, Songs from the Wood, or Going for the One. There are even Sticks and Starcastle albums out, out there full of bright, shiny pop with a more progressive twinkle in their eyes. Uh, so a few people really, really didn't like it, but that's mm. to be expected with almost any piece of work ever uh, mm, out there. Everyone's got their own personal taste. Right. I think by and large, though, if the people who at least publicly comment on it online, you know, are really, really appreciate it and think that it's a very creative, um, fun concept album. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how many people who are listening to this episode have heard this album. I think we tend to have, yeah, our listenership does tend to kind of sway for more popular records that we've done, right? Like, yeah, our episode that we did on the Yes album is way more popular than our episode that we did on Blumyud by Moon Safari. Yeah, I should tell this story because it has to do with our, our spotlight host, Rogan. Because when he came into Nashville, and we were actually going to go see Porcupine Tree together, he came into Nashville, and we went to a record store. I live in Nashville. There's record stores all over the place, right? So we were like, we got to go to a record store. So we went to a record store, and we're flipping through, you know, how, how you do it. You're just flipping through them, flipping through them, flipping through the baskets, all of the things. And, uh, and we saw this record, and we were like, whoa, look at this album cover. And we just pulled it out, and we bought it based yeah. on, the rec- on the album cover. We were like, oh, we got to. Like, I don't know what this is, but we got to we got to look at this. We got to see what this is. It's actually sitting right behind me. And if you're able to watch the video here, but it's really, really cool album cover. And that was literally the sole reason why we bought it. Little to little did we know the fact that it was actually going to be like a progressive rock album that was released in the 70s, which is really cool. So I was pleasantly surprised when we opened it up and we started listening to it. And I played it. I played the record here at my house. And I'm like, what? What is this? what is going on here? Like what is happening with this? And so it was really fun. And the, the, and then when I started doing more digging into like, who the heck are, who, who is this band? Who is this? Where are they from? What are they doing? What's their deal? And when we found, when I found out all of this information, like the story about who they were and like what happened and everything, I was like this, we got to do an episode on this, which is how I went to you and was like, Bro, we gotta do we gotta do an episode on this record. And uh because of just how crazy this story is, but also I really enjoy it. Like I really personally enjoyed the album. I don't know about you, like what were your thoughts on it? Just personal enjoyment of it. Like overall. Do you want me to launch full full in? Yeah, you can like, launch full in. Like I'm interested to know. We haven't talked about it, so I wanna know like your thoughts on it. It was alright. It was it was it was alright. I'm not I'm not the person who thinks that this is one of the most like you know, underrated things in the world and it's the best things to right. slice bread, but I'm also not the person who absolutely hates it. It's all right. Uh, it's got its strengths and weaknesses. Um, I, I mean, you had told me that they kind of sound like the Beatles and like that was the first thing I noticed the first track. Like that was the very yeah. first thing I was yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. like this is very much like Paul very Beatlesque. Yeah. Uh, with the voice and also just, yeah, the entire arrangement. But uh yeah, and they've got a lot of fun elements in there. The more I listen to it, the more I really appreciate it. There's a lot of orchestral instrumentation, which I'm kind of a sucker for, so I really yeah. enjoyed that. But in addition to that, they also have a lot of you know futuristic sounds and a lot of synthesizers. 
going on in here as well. So I appreciated the employment of a variety of different musical instruments and styles kind yeah. of going into this. Um, but the actual compositions themselves, very few of them really grabbed me. Mm-hmm. There are certain sections here and there within the songs, like what we're listening to right now. Yeah. That I loved. I thought yeah. I was all about Vocal that. effects on that were really cool. Really cool. Very John Lennon. Uh, again, we'll get to that later. Um, but I, I, so there are sections I really like, but as a whole, nothing gripped me. Um, I liked it more and more. I heard it. That's kind of how it is with a lot of the records we do on this show. Yeah. Um, you just kind of get used to it and find more things to appreciate about it. And I did. But still, at the end of the day, is this going to be a record that I go back to frequently? Mm, probably not. Mm-hmm. I, I checked the box, and that's cool. But that's that's my kind of bird's eye view impression of this record. I know that like some of the more popular, did you tend to lean more towards like because I think there's a a, a blend of like the pop portion of things. Like there are certain sections and moments that are like, oh, this is kind of like like the first track. And then uh, certain like other sections, I think of the loneliness of creatures, and I think even the last song that had maybe some like more pop leanings. Yeah. Did you tend to lean more towards that in terms well, of your enjoyment? Yeah, they're or, like, more the more melodically appealing. I mean, and then you listen to so said the lighthouse keeper, and you're like, okay, yeah. Like I get that you're telling a story here. It's just yep. this isn't. It's not grabbing me. It's not gra- right. Yeah. No, that's it's not perfectly, grabbing me. It's perfectly valid. I really enjoyed sort of the the clearness of the vocals when they were, I mean, when they're not shoving them through like a bunch of fuzz effects and right, stuff like right, that, which right, I was right. like, I, I still liked that too. But yeah. I did really like just the clear, uh, I just liked the timbre of his voice. I thought that, yeah, was, that yeah, was yeah. really, really pleasant. And, and I sensed just a lot of musical elements and the way that they were like moving the music. It's certainly not, you know, here's your verse riff here's your chorus riff with the vocals thrown on top of it. Like there was just a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. When this, when the guy had said that, that this wasn't prog rock, I was like, no, it is. This is, this is right. Definitely prog rock. Is yeah. it as com complex as maybe some yes arrangements? No, not necessarily from like your rock band point of view. Right. But, you know, they worked with a, an orchestra. Uh, yeah. They're using a lot of synthesizers to employ a lot of interesting sounds to craft this big, ornate concept album. The lyrics are really weird and mysterious and all of that. It's definitely got enough elements of the prog rock, you know, genre to, to be considered that. So, yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I guess the, the question that I was asking prior to this is, like, what? Why does no one, not no one, but why is this band not known, I guess, more by people in the progressive rock community? At least, at least from the interactions that I've had with people, I've never had somebody recommend, at least to my, to my knowledge, never had somebody recommend. It's like, oh, you need to check out a, a, Klot- a Klotzu record. You need to listen, you need to listen to this or I don't think they record. have that many records to begin only, with. Well, they only have five. Right. I only have five. And but the story goes, and I want to tell this story too, just the like or the formation. And this is really why I wanted to do the episode on this, because this story of Klaatu was just so intriguing and interesting. And so, but yeah, this is the second of the five. And also I think the reason why I wanted to do this one too is because I think this is the one that 
the most well-received album, but I think it also got shoved into the ground and people kind of hit it underneath some reviews and things that were happening at the time. And so I do want to tell this story. So uh, I guess this would be like a story time with Destin. You, you cool with that? I'm totally cool I with guess that. We've done plenty of story time with Drew. We've done story time with Drew. Now we need Drew. story time with Destin. Man, we need to do another like journal entry with Drew. I need I need oh, some more like a journal journey. Yeah. The journal journey. Oh man. That'd be great. Okay, so here's the story of Klaatu. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. So in the early formation of Klaatu, Frank Davies was their producer, and he took some of Klaatu's demos over to his friend Rupert Perry, who is the head of A and R for Capitol Records. And Davies, he said this in an interview. He said, Rupert loved it. And he said, Rupert said, we'd like to come and see the band play and meet them. And he did the typical A&R spiel. And I had known Rupert for a long time. So this made it a little bit easier. I said, I can't do that, Rupert, because this is how the band wants to be publicized, promoted and everything else. They're not going to play live. They don't want any interaction with the record company. They want to leave that entirely up to me as their label and production team manager, and that's it. He said, Frank, I've got to meet the guys that I signed to a deal. And I was like, Rupert, those are the conditions. Those are the conditions. That's how we're, that's how we're going to be able to do this. And, and Frank Davies said, kudos to him. He signed him. Klaatu was unique. Rupert went along with the idea. He said, okay, that's totally fine. So the record label, the A&R guy at Capitol Records never met or hasn't met the band by the time that they signed them. It's very important to know just as the story goes along. So Klaatu's first record was released on August 11th, 1976, about a year prior to this one. In Canada, the album was named 347 EST after the exact time that the alien Klaatu landed in the day the Earth stood still. However, in the United States, it was just simply known as Klaatu. And that's because Woolishuk came up with the 347 EST idea after the first round of Canadian pressing had finished at the printers. So although the album was pretty well received in Canada, it received very little radio and press attention in the United States. Until an American journalist named Steve Smith reviewed the album in the Providence Journal on February 13th, 1977. The review was titled, Could Klaatu Be the Beatles? Mystery is a magical tour. So, like I alluded to earlier, the album contained no photographs, no identifying information at all, and the band's The Day the Earth Stood Still reference was a little suspicious because Ringo released his fourth record called Goodnight Vienna in 1974, which contained the exact same, like it contained the ship or something like that from that movie. So everybody's like, that's a little, little weird. Three years prior to this release. So is Klaatu the Beatles? There you go. There's your Klaatu conspiracy right there with a K. Conspiracy with a K. You like that? Yes, of course. Yeah, we're going to run with that. So there's your Klaatu conspiracy. Somebody wrote, wrote this review. It was like, is the Beatles, is Klaatu the Beatles? So Steve Smith, the guy who wrote the article, he said, why did the album sound so much like the Fad Four? He said, the track Sub Rosa Subway, these are songs from the first record, is completely Beatle-ish. Smith believed that the names of the members were being kept secret by Capitol Records, which is hilarious. <laughs> I love this. 
So Smith went on to say in his article, he said the vocals are exactly like Paul McCartney. The drumming is like Ringo. The guitar work sounds like George Harrison and John Lennon's. Uh, Dr. Marvello sounded like Blue Jay Way period George Harrison with the rest of the Beatles backing. Other songs had, quote, digs from the Beatles past, such as singing through fuzz effects, the yeah, yeah, yeahs, the unmistakable harmonies, all of those types of things. Just different elements yeah. contained in the music, right? And Smith wrote, uh, the album's musical and lyrical clues left four possibilities as to whom this mystery band could be. One, it could be the Beatles. Two, a couple of the Beatles with some other people. Three, a Beatle-backed band. Or four, a completely unknown but ingenious and talented band. Whoever Klaatu is, their album was well worth waiting for. Is it the Beatles? You're welcome to draw your own conclusions. And if yesterday is here, let it be. Nice little references there. Wow. I like that. Yep. Smith then contacted Capitol Records, right? So he's contacting Capitol Records right now to get more information. He's getting nothing. Capitol Records doesn't know who the band is. Like I said earlier, they didn't want press and Capitol to meet the band. So I find this hilarious because I wonder if at any point during this period, Capitol Records was questioning whether or not this actually was the Beatles or not. It's like, wait, did we just sign the Beatles? If people are thinking that it's, we don't know who they are. The, all of the like all the people who are doing reviews are like going to Capitol. They're saying like, "Hey, who is this band?" They literally don't know, but and they're not denying anything. So it's just this weird thing that's happening, right? Steve Smith said Capitol told or uh, told me they didn't know anything. I didn't believe them. You don't just sign a band blind, he said. "Quote." They said they signed those guys through Frank Davies, who'd released them on Daffodil Records in Canada. So then Steve Smith gets in touch with Frank Davies, right? He says he asked, or he asked whether Klaatu were the Beatles. And Davies was like, no. Smith was then going on. He was like, he's explaining the clues. He's talking about like, here's what I found. Like, here's, like, listen to all this. And, and Frank Davies, Frank Davies, the guy, you know, the producer, he said, that's pretty accurate. Now, Frank Davies later said that he was playing coy. But by this time, the record had been out like six months and it was starting to get some really great press on it because of this this Klaatu conspiracy would happening. It only had sold like seven or 8,000 copies in the U.S., but by this point, they had started working on Hope. So six months after the release, all of this media storm is starting to come up, right, in February, and they're getting ready to start recording Hope, this record that, that we're doing on the show. So after Steve's story was published, sales just went crazy. So here's the vocalist and drummer, Terry Draper's perspective. He said, we were in England recording and somebody told us about the Beatles rumor. We all had a good laugh and went back to work. When we returned to Canada, it was ridiculous. Cashbox, Billboard, all the magazines, everybody was talking about it. It went around the world via United Press Agency. We didn't know what to do because Frank, he, he had to start fielding, fielding calls from people. Meanwhile, AM and FM radio in Providence began to play tracks from the album and they interviewed Steve Smith on the air. So <laughs> So other stations are now catching on to the story. Within weeks now, Klaatu is being played across the entire United States. But the band themselves did absolutely nothing. They just stayed in the studio. They didn't want to do anything. They wanted to keep their lives private. They didn't want to come out and say anything. And they were just working on hope. They were just working on this record. Uh, that's fantastic. Isn't that hilarious? I, I love that they're just kind of like, whatever. I know. Like, okay, they thought we're the Beatles. That's funny. Let's get back to work on this record. Uh-huh. Like, that's hilarious to me. So by now, you know, you're a couple of months, we're about six, seven months after the release of the first record, 347 EST, you know, the um, uh, February of, of 77, 
the article gets released. We're about April and and uh, May, right? So Klaatu, right now, there's now there's this. Uh, are they? Aren't they? There's actually uh, something that was recorded. I found online. The rumors actually reached the Beatles themselves. Frank Davies. He said he received a postcard from Paul McCartney. He said, "Quote: I'm having a good laugh watching all the rumors swirling." <laughs> this is great. I love this. So then Capital. So now Capital's loving this, right? Because whether or not they're getting record sales, so they're just kind of feeding into this. They're just stoking the flames a little bit. They're not necessarily denying anything at all. They placed an advert in the music trade magazines with a picture of the sun from the first record. If you're familiar with the the first uh, Klaatu album, there's a big picture of a sun on the front album cover. And so they posted uh, this advert in the music trade magazines, and the slogan said, Klaatu is Klaatu. That's funny. Just a weak way of denying the rumor, right? So, I mean, they're just kind of like stoking it. Capital's enjoying the press. They're enjoying the sales. And the band is doing nothing, nothing at all. They're not saying anything. They're not interviewing anything. They're not coming out and saying, hey, Capital, you can't do that. They have no contact with them. And they're choosing to stay. So it's just weird. It's this weird relationship of like they're not wanting to do anything. So it's it's the height of the media storm. Klaatu and Terry Brown, they're in the UK. They're working on hope, right? They're not even in the same country as all this stuff, the conspiracy and everything that's going on. And so they're working on hope. But because of the ongoing sales, Capitol Records now pushes the release date of hope back several months to continue to kind of feed on this whole media storm of the first record and everything. Steve Smith, during this time period, now ends up finding a girlfriend of one of the band members of Klaatu. And Dwight Douglas, the program director of WWDC-FM radio station in Washington, D.C., he decided to go visit the Library of Congress. And he discovered there that the songs were uh, from the album were not copyrighted to the Beatles. They were not copyrighted to them. So th- people are starting to figure it out. People are starting to figure it out. And by this point, Hope gets released in September 1977. It went on to sell 400,000 copies. In the United States, right? Everybody's th- er- people are going crazy about this. But despite this, this stuff is starting to come out about like this isn't actually the Beatles. The writing's clearly on the wall for the band, right? They got great reviews, but almost like for every great review, there's also this newspaper article that was like hoax. It's, it's a scam, right? There's a lot of negative negative press. Terry they Draper duped us, yeah, yeah. Terry Draper said this. The drummer. He said, when people found out they weren't, we weren't the Beatles, I think they were a little distraught, or worse than that, they thought that we perpetu- uh, or perpetrated the rumor. Right. And all that we wanted to do was just for, to remain anonymous and just have private lives. But at this point, we were being asked to reveal ourselves. We didn't want to do it. Capitol Records published a full-page ad on the billboard presenting a complete denial that it was the Beatles. Complete denial. So now, like everybody's got, almost feeling like they, they got duped. People were like, they were lied right. to. And the band didn't want to do anything. And their popularity dwindled immensely. Every single record sold less than the previous one from Mm -hmm. Hope. So Hope was released. Every single record sold less than the previous one. Terry Draper said again, he said, the the public felt duped, and it wasn't us. We didn't do it. We never pretended to be the Beatles. We didn't want to be the Beatles. Right. So I find it interesting. It's almost the, the tension of holding on to your privacy or denying the falsehood of your identity. Mm-hmm. It's like that's kind of the the world that they were sort of living in. Yeah. Which is a yeah. weird, a weird, it's a juggle. It's a weird juggle. It's like 
it, it's interesting. He's like, we didn't do anything. And I was like, well, you did. You didn't deny your identity. And you kind of let, you kind of just let Capitol Records run your identity for you to a certain right, degree. Right. You but had agency. You, you could have an, done something yes. if you really wanted to, but right. you just figured. Yeah. yeah. It's just a really like unfortunate story because how, how everything just went down. I, I don't think that their popularity, can, like, I don't know. They just didn't, I guess they, right. I, but, Despite popularity, take popularity out of it for a second because things can be popular, but it can be good or bad press, right? I think the biggest thing was that people just almost felt like they were disrespected in a way. They were lied to, so the the right their the name Klaatu like is now tainted almost. Like people just didn't right. respect the band because of what was happening in this story. But they did it. They the the public the public did it to themselves. Yes. Yeah. They did. They built this expectation yeah. that yeah, they you did. couldn't match. And even if you did match it, I mean, like, and that you know, that's just the mass media culture we live in. Right. 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 It's just y- super. You know. It's super weird. Now, I now I'm going to go on to to point out a couple of things here. I found an arg or an article called Klaatu Identities and Beatles Rumors. I found this article. Here are just a few of the examples on their first record, which was 347 EST, right? So a couple of things that they were saying that I was like, that's, this is just really weird. It's really weird. So they said here, so, and you're a Beatles fan. So like, you you just tell me what you think of, of this stuff here, right? The album's lyrics allude to magic, mystery, and touring. The Magical Mystery Tour album by the Beatles was the only album considered a failure. Could Klaatu be their answer to that? And Sir Bodsworth Rugglesby III, which is a song on the record, they said there is a line that says, he's the only man who's ever been to hell and come back alive. And people were saying this could be a reference to the Paul is Dead rumor from the 1960s. Students, it's so funny that they're making these connections that aren't really there because that's exactly what happened with the Paul is Dead hoax. Yep, yep. Students at the University wow. of Miami applied the Sub Rosa Subway, a song from their first record, and some of McCartney's tracks to a voice print machine, and the prints were, quote, identical. The song title, Sub Rosa Subway, was thought to be a takeoff on McCartney's Red Rose Speedway album. The term Sub Rosa is a Latin phrase that means under the rose and is used in English to denote secrecy or confidentiality, perhaps a way to hide the Beatles' identity. <laughs> Beatles are heard to be chirping and buzzing at the start of the first song of the record, calling occupants of interplanetary craft, planetary craft, Beatles be chirping at. The lyrics of Sub Rosa Subway refer to New York and then Washington, the first two cities of the U.S. that the Beatles played in. So, you know, wow. people are just, and that's, there's more of them. I, there's way more. They have stuff that's on the music, the album cover itself, like all kinds of different stuff that people are just trying to find. And so it's a pretty, like, here's what's funny about it. Not really funny, but it's just super unfortunate. It's a really unfortunate story for them because all the ba- although the band was accused of being anonymous, anonymous with their lack of band pictures, the names, and the individual credits, what's funny is that's not strange marketing tactics for this time period. That's not something right. that was out of the ordinary. For example, The Doors, their self-titled album in 1967, it, nothing the Genesis – uh, from Genesis to Revelation in 1969. All the writing credits are just given to the band. There's no names on, on the record. Right. Genesis's album, as well as other albums at the time, like uh, In the Court of the Crimson King, right? Uh, contain no pictures of the band, right. only the, but only their names, right? 
Right. Um, the King Crimson, uh, King Crimson album, both the front and the back contained psychedelic artwork, but no writing, right? The inner sleeved right. had the band's name, the album title tracks, lyrics, and band personnel, right? So that's not a strange marketing tactic that, so it's like when people are, well, there's nothing written on the, you know, it's gotta be the Beatles because of that, but no, not really. On the contrary, Fleetwood Mac, uh, their self-titled first album contains pictures of the bands, but they or sorry, they contained pictures of the band members, but not their names. There's no names mm. written on them. Other genres, uh, outside of prog rock too, just had situations of omitted information, right? There were a lot of early Motown records with no pictures of the artists. Even on solo artists, albums of both like uh, country music, uh, maybe even like some soul music as well. Like the session musicians were often not credited. You know, like wow. the lack yeah. of recognition didn't change until like the late uh, maybe 1960s or so. So what's interesting is that people are saying, and I wrote this down, perhaps Klaatu's privacy might have slipped under everyone's radar had it not been for that one tiny hiccup. The band shared similar, quote, sound qualities of the Beatles. But then again, I'm going to keep going. Starcastle, take that, you know, the prog rock band from the 70s. They displayed many, many like similarities with Yes, in the 70s, right? They, they, they kind of, but no one ever thought Star Castle was yes. And that was mostly due because their album containing pictures of the, of the names of the band and on the back cover and everything. What exasperated Klaatu's situation beyond the quote usual X band sounds like the Y band banter is the lack of the band member detail. For a while, unlike Star Castle, Klaatu was not seen as band knockoffs or unoriginal copycats. They were seen as the real deal. They were seen as the Beatles. So as far as I know, there's been no other band that has been seriously mistaken for someone else to the level that Klaatu experienced. And I find that to be so incredibly fascinating because it's like with the lack of the pictures, the names, and on top of that, there's strong similarity to the Beatles sound. We have bands who have done one or the other, but I can't think of many bands who have done both. And that's what I think started this whole thing because Starcastle sounded like yes, but they had photos. In the Court of the Crimson King, had no photos, but they didn't sound like any other band. They didn't right. sound like any band. So it's it's the combination of those two things <laughs> that I'm like, yeah. this is this is nuts that caused all this. So all that being said, coming to the end of the story here, um, that's why I, would, I, I wanted to talk about this record and this band because I I really liked this album before knowing the story. When I read the story, I was like, this is nuts. But also just to bring them onto the show because I don't think that people know them very well and. Uh, I know this episode is probably not going to get a ton of uh, traction. Hopefully it does. I hope this episode blows up and people are like finding this record and everything. And they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard this before. Or maybe you have and you're just wanting to hear and you already know everything that I'm talking about. Whatever. Um, either way, it's a cool record. It's a cool band. And the first record and the second record are really, in my opinion, the only two that I've enjoyed. I've, I've sampled the third, fourth, and fifth. And the fifth one, it seems like a complete sellout to try and make up for the money that they've lost from the last couple of records. But either way, that's the story of Klaatu. It's unfortunate, but also I think there's a little bit of like, yeah, you kind of fed into that a little bit. Like, I don't know. Like, what would you do in that scenario? Would you want to hold on to your privacy or deny the falsehood of your identity? I don't think, uh, like you you have to necessarily completely compromise your privacy by making one small quick statement of being like here's a photo of me no we're not that 
can I go back to making music now? Right. It's not like you're giving out your address to somebody. No. It's not it like doesn't, you're giving no, out your... No, you don't have to totally have to do 800 interviews or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, and it, it gets tricky with the music industry and with any type of celebrityism or however you want to say it. But, you know, whenever you're in the public eye in any way, whoever is managing you because you almost always have to have a manager right. in some sense or label or, you know, people who are handling marketing and press because you have to, because it is still a business to a degree. You're going to be forced to, to, to do certain events and things that you don't want to and show your face at places that you don't really want to, or most of the time you have to quote unquote have to, uh, yep. you know, I'm sure there are ways around that, but yep. I don't think it would have been a big deal me neither. For them to have just been like, no, not sorry, us. Sorry. That's not us. This is us. You know, it's not the Beatles. We're yep. doing our own thing. Uh, we like the Beatles, sure, but we're trying to do our own thing here. And that's that. So, yep. Uh, it's a weird, it's know. a weird little, it's a weird thing. You know, I, I also think of like some other bands whom we have done on this, on the show, that the record label wanted to do something and the band wanted to do something completely different. Uh-huh. And they ended up doing the thing they wanted to do, not what the the record label wanted to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, with the advice of, of the record label. And it's interesting because, and and I don't know how often this happens, but they gave the record label 100% of the control of what we're going to say about them, how we're going to say it, what we're going to have the public perceive or see the band, all, all of the things. And so... Uh, that's that's an interesting dynamic yeah. relationship that's there. But yeah, I'm like, it's funny, you know, that that quote of of Terry Draper is like, you know, we didn't do anything. We didn't want to be the Beatles. Like we're, we're we were not trying to be the Beatles. And I'm like, yeah, then why don't you say that? Like, right. why didn't you just say that? You know, it's the Internet wasn't even around at this point. So it's not like. Oh my gosh, they're going to take your photo and scan it online and everybody's going to go and find your identity and find who you are, find your address. No, to his point though, to his you. point, he uh, shouldn't have to. Like if you ask the no, question, why didn't you just do that? Because I shouldn't have to. Now, now having said that, going back across the other side of the chessboard, it's like, okay, but you're in that situation and you have to do something to deal with it. Like it's getting to a point where you really, and maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't realize the magnitude of it. Like they, maybe again, maybe the only thing they ever heard about it and they didn't realize how out of control it was getting was just that little, oh, people mistook us for the Beatles. That's kind of funny. And maybe they just had that kind of mindset of like, that's funny. I don't th- see this as a big deal. Let's go back to the studio because they've got a lot to work on. If you listen to this record, there's a lot to work on. They're they're you know coordinating and collaborating with an entire orchestra, yep. the London Symphony Orchestra. Yes. On this. So that's that's a big deal. We got lots of work to do, and this is what we like to do, also. Yep. Right, so right. okay, maybe they just didn't realize the magnitude of how this was playing yeah, out from a, a marketing perspective. That's a good point. Because also, if I were in their shoes, I'm I'm not a marketer. I am not the publicity agent. I, that's what that's what they do for me i'm the artist i write the music and that's what i want to do and that's what i'm paid to do right so I, that's what i'm gonna do and unless the the label is telling me you have to do this because it's getting out of control i'll bet you they didn't tell them that or force them or prompt them to do that because it's like no this is working out well from a business perspective this whole excitement over it is getting us a lot of eyes on our record label which is great which makes sales go up 
So maybe they intentionally didn't say, hey, let's have them come out and make a statement saying that they're not the Beatles. Yeah. Because if they did, then, okay, kind of what we got going for us here is the novelty that they might be and the mystery that they might be. So let's, yeah, let's have them just stay in the studio um, and do their thing while we kind of whip this up and play on the fanaticism of, what was it, Steve Smith? Yeah, Steve Smith. Smith. Yeah, the journal. So yeah, yeah, yeah and that's so. also another another good point too. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of jump back. I'm gonna kind of jump with you and 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 defending them to a to a certain degree that uh, they also weren't even in the same country. They were in the UK recording this. This is all of this stuff is happening in the United States, right? And so uh, with the media scam and and everything that was going on, and we didn't have something like the internet to disperse right. information this quickly in a matter of you know, between February and September from when this album was released, right? Because right. that's that's the, the time period, February 1977 to September 1977 when this record was released. So, um, yeah, it's just a it's just an unfortunate story, and there's not one person that's right or wrong. It's just kind of, that's just what happened, yep. and here we are. But uh, with that being said, um. You know, we, maybe, I think maybe the argument or somebody could say it's like, well, why didn't we review the first record, the one that caused all this media storm? And I, I'll, I'll be the, I like this record better than the first one, to be honest with you. Um, also, and I'm just along for the ride. And he's guys. just along for the I, ride. I don't, I don't have any say. Destin's kind of taken. He's steering the ship right now. This was uh-huh. this was an episode that I asked her to do. I was like, we got to do, we got to do hope. You were don't the one worry, to ask. We'll- you asked me to do what if by the Dixie Dregs, and I said yes. Yeah. Well, and we'll do another Drew record later. We'll do another Drew record, yeah. We don't have like a well, most <laughs> a of the Drew time, suggestion. There's not, yeah. I was about to say, it's like we don't really necessarily have records that it's like, oh, do we have to do this? And I'm like, oh, do we really? Like, there hasn't been a situation like that. Most it's I remember been going, it's been going on for a while, and there are somewhere we're like, oh my gosh, we both love this record, we have to do it, yeah. But it's been fun, it's been fun to do the ones where one person initiates it, uh, right? To the point that the other person is like, I have no idea what this is, yeah, and I'm literally like. It's what <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. I've got the blindfold on and I'm buckled in the car, but you could be driving me off the in, uh, off of a cliff. But I trust you, Destin. <laughs> I trust you. You know, it's funny too because I think in the early the early maybe uh we've been doing this for now at the at the time of this recording and release we've been doing this for like 4 years, right? I think the yeah, first it's been a little year, over 4 years. It's nuts. Yeah. I think the first year and the maybe even the second year, I think every record that we did on the show were albums that you and I both either knew or we both didn't know, you know? Oh, okay, like, okay, okay, okay. You know okay. what I'm saying? Was, uh, yes, okay, because there were some that we didn't know. Yes, we didn't know uh, Ladder like, Alice. Uh, Ladder Alice. We didn't, Alice we didn't the, listen to Al- Ladder Alice. Alice. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, But there have also been some other records, too, that we've done. And I know this is a tangent, but either way. But I know, like, we're really kind of veering okay. off here. I know, it's okay. But, like, it's just fun Peek to talk behind about the curtain, sometimes. guys, if you want to know about um, the show. Yeah, we've got a lot of different albums and episodes that we've gotten to cover, which has been really fun. But, uh, you know, we've gotten to the place where we did, uh, oh, what was the record that we that you, well, you wanted to do Blumyard, I believe. You you were like, oh, yeah. we got to do, do this record. And that I was from, a, yeah, it was. It, and, and you were like, this is not my right. bag. Yeah, and I think that was like the first time that we did something that you, like one of us liked and the other one didn't. Like most, most of the time, yeah. I think it's either, we're usually pretty much in agreement in terms of musical taste of like, we both like it. We both don't like it. Or, you know, one person knows it, yes. the other person doesn't, but we both like it. Right. So it's just kind of a, it's just been fun. I don't know. It's just a, 
fun little side tangent. Anyway, back to hope. Um, you want to talk about some of the lyrics of this? You know, you you, you stated that yeah. there's, there's some sci-fi stuff that's going on. There's a story yeah. that's very clearly a concept album. Yeah. Um, so, in case yeah. you're curious about the concept out al- of the concept album, because this is 100 percent that. Um, the, in, in very typical prog rock fashion, the, the, okay, this. How would you describe this record? It is a sci-fi space prog rock opera. Yeah, I think that's the best way. Yeah, I I would use it. the I word that, cosmic. Cosmic? cosmic. Okay, space is in there. Destin, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Put but space in there. You know what? That's we, enough. That's how we described. Shoot, how we described when we did Ocean by Eloy. Yes, I see a lot of ties there. I see a lot of similarities. Uh, this to me is not as ambient as that. That wanders. That meanders. Yeah, this it does. one doesn't meander that much. Yeah, it's more it orchestral. Doesn't. It's more grounded. More grounded. It's more than, grounded than something than like something Ocean. Like Ocean or some or band like Tangerine Dream or some of these yes. other kind of space rock bands that aren't necessarily prog rock. Yeah. Or at the very least are you could consider them prog rock, but but definitely on the periphery. Yeah. Like they are missing a lot of the elements of of or, or of the other elements that are typically associated with like the early pioneers. Right. Yes. This one has a fair amount. So I think this is definitely prog rock. It doesn't meander yeah. as much as something like, yeah, like Ocean some of those other you know, groups but. one of the one of the things that i think grounds though is is the uh and it's just a small thing but for some reason i always kind of associate it with i don't know i always kind of it just sounds uh, very grounded but the harpsichord that's something that that when when that's being yeah. played throughout the music it just kind of remi- i don't know it just kind of brings it down to earth a little bit um but also the, <laughs> also the orchestra dude what are you laughing about what is a harpsichord bringing something down to earth. I it don't would, know. That's just kind of funny. To me. I don't know. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It just sounds like it's not, I guess because it, the notes are very, it's, uh, it's not, it's, and yeah, sharp it's very and short and, and it's a burst. And, See, I have right, reasons. It's not as wavy. I have yes. reasons for my, it, my thoughts. It interrupts a state of, a, a trance-like state. Yes. Let me have I my see, opinion. <laughs> you're allowed to have it. It's just funny. It's just not right. <laughs> no, it's not incorrect. It's just fun. It just hit my ear that way, and it yeah, made me laugh. I like that. Anyway, you are going to say something I'm not probably shaming pretty you. important. Uh, <laughs> super important. So it starts out, the concept, it starts out, and someone else, if someone who's like a mega fan of this, feel free to correct me. It starts out with our intrepid adventurers embarking on a journey to space to see what they can find. We're off, you know? I I love that. I I just love the name of that. We're yeah. off, you know? Okay, so like why are they on this adventure? I don't, I don't know. But hey, don't think too hard about it. It's a prog rock concept album and these things are never very finely tuned. Now, let me ask as far you as this. The story is concerned. Let me ask you what? this. Is it we're off, you know? Is it we're off, you know? Is it we're off you know? Or is it we're off here. you know? You're killing me here. I'm, I'm sweeping that question under the rug. I'm not answering that. Where's the emphasis? The, the, I don't know. I like I don't know. you know. <laughs> You're killing me here. I'm sorry. Continue. They find, they find themselves on the remnants of a far-off planet that was home to a civilization or a country known as Politzania. Zania! Yeah. They discover that many of the Politzanians... Right. including the government officials themselves and kind of the controlling forces there, deemed themselves superior to other 
countries or civilizations or people groups or whatever. And if anyone questioned this very arrogant outlook and perspective, this very superioristic mentality, they would reprocess their brains, wow. which I, from what I've read, it's, it probably means that they lobotomized them. Wow. So that's pretty upsetting pretty dark. and made them. Yeah, it's very dark and made them very catatonic and submissive. So yeah, very dystopian, very typical dystopia of like the government controlling you and you're all sheep and blah, 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 because other forces are forcing you to think a certain way. People do love that story. They love that trope. And then, and, okay. And that's when you hear like the mindless herd of people singing, like the Politzanian national anthem in that song. Like That's a creative, I, I, I got to hand it to him. That's a creative idea. I like the way that they constructed that. And it, it's okay. It's, it's cheesy. It's it so is kinda, cheesy. It is kind of cheesy, but, but it does paint I a was picture. Like, okay. I get it. I get it. It does paint a picture. Yeah. And it's a thing. It's a thing that, in the real world, like that's, you know. Oh, right, right. These big anthems that people rally behind, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. you know. Anyways, um, The Loneliest Creature, the song, uh, The Loneliest of Creatures, that character is the last Polizanian, right? He survived yes. after their imminent demise because they were so arrogant and then they got destroyed by another group. Yeah. Uh, and he sings about being so lonely, about being the only one to survive. Now, what he's doing in his old age, he controls a lighthouse on the the big space rock. Oh my god. Um, that that sh- I know. That shines out into space and the lighthouse directs any space travelers away from the remains of Polizania. He's trying to warn travelers not to follow in the footsteps of Polizania. That civilization, they should end their quest before they become too arrogant. I guess, and and die out like the Polizanians. Uh, so oh, then I don't really know how we get here, but the lighthouse keeper is about to die, <laughs> and he needs to. <laughs> you can tell how much maybe it's the pre- put maybe it. it's the prelude, like the instrumental is supposed to depict something in that that we didn't pick up. Right, on. and it could be it could be like a, a big battle or an internal struggle for him or him yeah. remembering sure. a battle that they went through. It's an interesting idea and kind of their history. Maybe the yeah. Uh, the lighthouse keeper needs a message to tell other travelers or to tell others that travel near Polizania, maybe a message to the whole universe. Maybe not just them, like sure. everyone. Sure. Yeah. He needs to invent the perfect prayer. And before he dies from old age, it's actually a pretty well-written lyric. I like this. So he's about to die. And it says, death told him you will not die in vain. And on his lips, the fatal kiss was placed. But from within his falling chest, the old man uttered one last breath. And had we heard his parting word, We'd know that he had said, and then it goes into the song, hope. So he was, that's what he wanted. That's what he wanted to get out, but he, he just couldn't find the word. He was trying to find the word hope, which is actually kind of sweet. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. That's kind of the, the story in a nutshell. It's very prog. It's space travel, alien creatures, lighthouses, the works. Yep. So. Yep. You know what uh, we should do? That's, yeah. We should create a video game and all of the vi- and and the video game contains quests that are specific to different albums and concept albums 
where people are traveling to space and they have to go visit these people and you got to talk to these NPCs. So they, they have to like go to Megadon? 100%. In, yep. by, in, you gotta by 21, do, yes, 2012? you got to go to Megadon. And you've got to go to Polizania. you got to go to Polizania. And then you've got to visit um, the Lamia in yes. the Lamb Lies and, Down, and Lamb Lies down Broadway. Broadway. Yep, yep. And you could totally you've got to visit. And you could have different, oh, you could have companions like a 21st century schizoid Schizo- man. Oh or maybe he's a boss. Now see, that would be really good. I, I don't know. That would be yeah, really good. there are lots of characters in progress. I'm saying we could, could like, literally create. This. I mean, we, we could, could do stuff from from uh, what am I? Oh, who is? Uh, I can't even remember the band. I'm I'm dying. The Mars Volta. What's the name? Oh my gosh, we just we did this record. Why can't I remember the name? What? Delaus in the Comatorium? Thank you. So you could have like certain creatures from that because there are like these weird bugs there. Those could be certain villains, oh, like from see? his brain. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Those now, could be this. little biomes that you go into. DLC content. <laughs> DLC content. You ready? Here, yes. no, no, look, look, I got more. I got more DLC content right no, here. No, no, no. Okay, we got co- all of the outfits of Peter Gabriel. You can you, on your character. You yes, can get yes, all of yes. The those are skins. Yes, those, those are skins. Are skins. You, you can get his all DLC. Right, absolutely. Yeah. We need to collaborate with Mark Papagon and and Doctor Pez. Doctor Pez. Uh, by yeah. the way, if you haven't heard that episode, you need to. Oh, it's a bonus episode. It's fantastic. This is just instantaneous ideation right here. Oh but yeah. You know what? This works. And you know what? We haven't copyrighted it. Someone could totally steal this when we release this episode. Crap. Someone's going to steal this. I guess we'll just, it's okay. Yeah, that's fine. We'll be like, we'll They'll probably we'll, we do it better than we can. <laughs> they probably absolutely. Here's a starting point. This is the jumping off point. Here's right a jumping here. off point of a video game completely and solely based on progressive rock on music. Prog rock. Having to it develop, could, you know like, what? It probably wouldn't world. sell super well, but, I'd buy it. uh, it might be niche enough that you might put a smile on a few people's faces. Yeah, we just release it in the the progressive rock community on Reddit, and it would yeah. blow up. I mean, it would just it would just blow up. I I wanted to talk about uh, no good segue here. Just just prog rock and and like sci fi, and mm. I I thought it was interesting. I found a couple of articles because this is a very sci fi totally. record. This no. is space. It's space travelers Absolutely. going to a different alien civilization, and then they find out about the history of that alien civilization, and it's dystopian, and it's like very seventies dystopia. I like this is just yeah, this is as, as sci-fi as you can get. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. There is there is the question: Is prog rock the music of science fiction? Apparently, this is back in two thousand nine, so a great it's question. several years old. That's the name of the article. Well. This was a story an article wrote about a, a, a sci-fi author, Kevin J. Anderson. I don't know him. Maybe you who are listening do. Uh, but he's a, he's a prolific sci-fi author, I think. And he worked with a prog rock band called Roswell Six to make a companion <laughs> CD to go along with his novel. Okay. And he worked – this wasn't – I don't think this was like, hey, here's the book I already wrote. Work with it. No, he collaborated with them in the sense of like, you know what? That's a really cool song you got in there that has kind of this idea. You know what? I'm going to throw in a scene, a chapter of the book or a couple of paragraphs in the book because I was inspired by this music that you were working on. And you originally got the idea for this kind of stuff by reading parts of my book. So they really kind of bounced off of each other, which I think is actually really cool. Okay. Um, All right. And there were like some scenes from the book that like didn't work lyrically. Like they were like, we don't know how to convey like a big right. battle without it sounding really bad and cheesy. So this is just going to be an instrumental section. And the writer, the author is like, totally get that. Yeah, do it. I love that. Like there was, I, I think that's great. He said when he set out to make a prog rock album to go with the novel, Anderson worked with the record label owner 
and the band right from the beginning, which is really interesting to me. He came up with a proposal for the novel and used that to develop the final book and lyrics for the music. So okay. I thought that was really, really interesting uh, that he he was such a proponent of the fact that prog rock is definitely the music of science fiction. I think that that was his contention or at least something similar to that. Uh, and then on top of that, I found another article saying the, the opposite instead of prog rock being the music of science fiction, it is, is, is prog rock, the science fiction of music. Which I thought okay. Was really okay. Explain. Anyways, this guy, uh, and he's, a a, a producer and engineer. Um, let me, let me read his Tim Dalton. This was on LinkedIn. I know everyone hits up LinkedIn for, for all of their, all of you your know, prog rock needs, media consumption. Um, <laughs> he said, I hold the view that progressive rock is the science fiction of music. The central theme of science fiction is that it speculates on what the future might be, what it will look like and how we might get there. But there is always an underlying theme of humanity embedded within it. Um, okay. I love that. I love yeah. that definition. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I just thought that was interesting. I'm not saying whether this is either of those perspectives is right or wrong, but I do think there is a very strong link between sci-fi and prog rock. Have other genres done it too? Absolutely. hundred percent. And like I said, uh, well, maybe this is actually before we went on air. I'm trying to remember what I told you, but like, you know, you've got glam rock with like David Bowie and the Ziggy Stardust tour. Yeah. Right. And all of that kind of stuff. That's, that's space rock. That's, you know, kind of sci-fi. Absolutely. Um, his stuff isn't really prog rock, right? I mean, not like how we would typically think about it. Um, but, you know, you've got 2112 by Rush, like we mentioned. You've got Cygnus X1 by Rush, which is the last track on A Farewell to Kings. You've got Brain Salad Surgery, a ELP, the track Carnival 9, and particularly the third impression is very sci-fi about the computer taking over and becoming sentient and all that kind of stuff. Um, you've got Get Him Out by Friday by Genesis, which is like talking about genetic control and, you know, that yep. whole idea that we're going to like genetically engineer these humans to be, you know, what we want them to be. Yep. That kind of, you know, sci-fi dystopian horror again, right? That the government's kind of controlling everything. And anyways, um, and then I've heard, and I haven't heard much of this group to begin with, but I've heard that a lot of Coheed and Cambria albums are very sci-fi oriented too. Yes. So I, I think that there's a strong link between the, the sci-fi genre. I mean, and this, again, the reason I, the, the whole impetus of this whole thing is the fact that Klaatu, crud, that like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the name of their band is based off of a character. Yeah. Right. Only very early, well, early forms of cinema, very early, uh, sci-fi movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, right? Yep. Yep. So, 1951. So, I mean, and that's character, and then that character also has, like, a phrase in that. It's like, what is it? Uh, Klaatu ban- Bandara... I haven't seen the Niktu? movie. Nikto? But you anyways... I haven't seen it. Okay. No. But I know of that phrase. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, so you've got, like, these sci-fi elements, but you know, I, I, I want to broaden this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What I love about prog rock is that it also engages the fantasy genre. So instead of going future, you go past, but they're both imagination based, right? So both from an ancient perspective and a futurist 
futuristic perspective is observed in the music. And I think it's because you have this really interesting blend of some groups going more, still being prog rock, but still uh, um, some groups having more of a symphonic or classical influence component, yeah. right? To give it kind of an older feel akin to kind of that fantasy vibe. Yeah. But then you also have synthesizers and like these really experimental sounds, which is a hallmark of prog, to add a more futuristic and sci-fi element to it. And I yeah. love that the genre kind of incorporates both just depending on which group you're listening to. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, this album's very orchestral. I will say one thing I really applaud about this album is how broad it is in its influences. I think it does, like it's absolutely yeah, sci-fi from the concept, but there are so many symphonic pieces here Yeah, um, that give it kind of an older world yeah feeling now nothing like nothing like we're dealing with like i don't know jethro tull with like a recorder right or something like that or a flute rather um where it's it's that kind of old kind of celtic ancient magic vibe per se mm -hmm. some groups do that but still this is really interesting that they have this this big um kind of culmination of symphonic and classical instruments fused with like uh huge amounts of of uh, Mellotron and really interesting synthesizers and very electronic oriented guitars, right? Kind of. Anyways, I, I just thought that was pretty, pretty interesting that this group was able to to combine both of those so well, considering that prog rock in general, the genre in general, combines them well. But I think this group does it probably better than any other group we've covered on the show that mm. can combine i think kind of an older world feel feel sorry with you know uh you know stuff with the orchestra futuristic and, and classical influences kind of, yeah along with the like yeah like you're saying yeah with the future like it's a it's a really good blend of both and i highly applaud them for that yeah no that's really all right great. that's the end of my my that's really great my monologue a fun a fun fact though about what you were talking about with the orchestra the orchestra and stuff like that you know the the band originally wanted the record to be strictly orchestral and so the demos they recorded they wanted to be orchestral they wanted to be orchestrally focused the producers um didn't necessarily want that they actually wanted to add more of the guitars and more of the rock thing because yeah. that was what they kind of leaned into a little bit in the first record was sort of the poppiness and so they were just sure yeah so anyway you can find the version the orchestral version online it's funny saying that because it's like how is the whole record's orchestral but like the strictly yeah. orchestral version um but it is awesome it's great it's really 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 great and uh i don't know who arranged all of those parts and yeah such. i'm very but curious about that there's so many things that are interweaving there's so many different counter melodies that are happening there's so many different like jumps of dynamics it feels very much so in in some places like a movie score like we're almost trying yeah. to follow something that's happening on a screen right and uh which lends itself to i think personally the overall musical enjoyment um there's not like there's not a ton of like alex lifeson you know, Steve Howe guitar work that you hear on the record that you're like, oh man, listen to that guy play. You know, there's, it's really more right. of kind of as, it's more holistic. Right. You know, too, the other thing that you also talked about, we were talking about this previously, was the, the way that the album ends and the way that it is not super bleak, 
like some of the other stuff that is super. Oh yeah, fiction. we had briefly talked about this. Yeah, earlier. yeah. yeah like about this how album like ends with hope it with a message with, of hope. It ends and, with, and, yeah, it ends with the message he, of hope, which is kind of rare for a lot of well sci-fi in general. To be honest, um, I mean you know like like some of the the nineteen seventies dystopian you know science fiction that that was kind of popular at the time. I mean there. But I, yeah, I think that, and you know, hand in hand with that, again, kind of the connection to prog rock. A lot of prog rock's pretty depressing. Like, yeah. and I love, I like prog rock. I, I, yeah. I don't know if that was, <laughs> that was obvious. That was great. Yeah. In case you missed it. And I like cats. So I like a lot of, I like cats. A lot of the, the music is, is very depressing. And like the endings to a lot of these albums are very depressing in, in the whole genre as a whole. But um, yeah, this one's interesting because it, it, it's it's kind of depressing and dark. Like we talked about, like what the Polizanians were doing to their people. But like the message that the last remaining person wants to give of that civilization is he has to hold on to something. And he knows that that's hope rather than yeah, we're all all is lost. And, you know, it's not like 2112 where another really big, bad federation takes over and it's pretty depressing, too, or anything like that or animals which is just dark yeah great album, take your but take just, your just pick dark. really i mean there's yeah. just not a lot there's just not a lot that was one of the things we talked about that on our blimiot episode i know i've referenced them i think twice now highly would recommend you checking out that episode because we were almost like taking this this scale of like how happy can you take your music kind of thing you know uh we were talking about on that record yep. everything yep. everything's in a major key everything is sunshine and rainbows and all of the things and so yeah. um it's it can be very refreshing, which is I think what you were stating about that album is, and so I identified with that uh, for this, which I was like, this is nice, this is nice. I'm glad that there's, you know, it doesn't end again with this dark, bleak message, or not even a message. It's yeah. not really necessarily a message. It's just the end of the story. There's not really trying to say anything, except probably for Roger Rod- Roger Waters, he's trying to say something, but like for some of these stories, it's just kind of the, the way that it ends. But I like that there's more of a message here, I believe. Um, and maybe I'm wrong where the other, other stories do. Am I wrong by saying that? Like other stories do that more often than I think they do prog rock album. Well, I don't know. I don't know if there's any like Aesop's fable where it's like, here's the moral of the story. Here's the right. takeaway of it per yeah. se. Yeah, it's you know, it's artistic. And I think what a lot of these people want to do is art is supposed to be kind of this. Hey, not here's what you should and shouldn't take away or here. You know, it's it's this. Well, what do you take away? Like, this is what the artist was, you know, trying to say, but art is interpretive, right? I mean, lots of people have different takeaways from different things. And a lot of times an artist will just present something and see what you take away from it. Yeah. Rather than telling you what. Anyways, clear that they want the album to end with a message of hope. Yeah. That's what they, they clearly. Yeah. So. And that's what I was hearing too, with like some of the, uh, Let me leave you with this. Uh, Here's yeah. Some hope. Yeah. And I remember reading some of the album reviews of this, like people talking about this, people talking about how they really love this record or whatever. But I think that was one of the things that, uh, many people were mentioning. And I think I told you this while we were offline on, right. the, on the episode is people were like, yeah, I heard this record. I'm a big prog rock guy. And I heard this record, during a time in my life where I really needed to hear that type of thing. Yes. And to be honest with you, I don't really have a lot of conversations about 
that like, oh my goodness, like, yeah, animals, it really got me through a dark time in my life or something like that. You know, like there's just not, (laughs) there's not, uh, it's not a very frequent message that I guess I hear. I think that's one of the things I've also really enjoyed about Stephen Wilson's music is that yes, he could still write stories, but it still comes back to humanity. I think we've also talked about with Neil, like the early seventies, he taught like these big grandiose stories. But then when he started getting into the eighties, like there was just a little bit more humanity and emotion, yeah. uh, just more in internal or introspective type of things. Yeah. And so yeah. the combination of the both, I think is, uh, something that, uh, is not very popular. I'm saying that while I'm thinking about it, because I don't know if that's necessarily true, but the combination of like writing a, like a science fiction story, right? I'm, I'm literally processing this in real time, writing a science fiction story and, it's about maybe ex- space exploration, all of the things, but then it still grounds itself somehow to a character or a person or something that is more of, a, of an emotional message, an introspective message to something. You're about to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, like a lot of criticism of the prog rock genre in general is that it's not grounded, is that it's too right. pretentious, right. that it's too yeah. distant to really connect with. Yes. Right? Yes. Because you're trying too hard to build this big world or you're trying yep. to... Yep hard to yeah to just kind of create like this dark tapestry rather than like hey where's the sense of humanity like that writer was talking about is that prog rock the central theme of science fiction is that it speculates on what the future might be but there's always an underlying theme of humanity yeah it's it's people spend a ton of time constructing worlds but then they don't either not that they don't but i guess i personally have had a, a hard time attaching to the characters that they place in those worlds and really connecting with the people. Well, that's what makes it a, the ones that do the ones that, that do that are, are the good, good stories. Yes, like the Raven. we're not writers though. We're not. not we're not. I'm not going to claim to be. I'm just telling you, like, but, you know, my personal enjoyment. But like the Raven, that was one of the big takeaways for me from that record was because I thought he did that really, really well. Even though he's not necessarily creating like a world, you know, there there wasn't like this whole overarching like welcome to the raven that refused to sink kind of thing right um but yeah i don't know that's just something i'll have to further explore just in thought maybe you know there are records anybody who's listening maybe a record that is possibly science fiction or something that has to do with world construction they've constructed a world they've brought you into this place or a story um or whatever and you really connect with the sto- you really connect with the people within this story like the humanity within the world that's created would love to know a list of records albums something like that that really does a good job of doing both of those things is that is that phrased well yeah yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> you know another thing that this record reminds me of and i made a little sound clip of this um because uh I thought this record sounded very theatric in, in, a, in certain ways. I was playing this out. Oh, for very much so. Very theatrical, yeah. especially like the loneliness of creatures, the long lived poetry. Yeah, I it had sounds, that written down too. It sounds very ensemble, like very ensemble esque. Oh, 100%. 100%. Right? Yeah. And, and so that's where when people are like, oh, it sounds like Queen, I'm like, yeah, because that whole, oh no, oh no, oh yeah. no. I'm like, that's all textbook Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Just Galileo, Galileo, Figaro. Like it just, yeah. Yep. That's 100%. immediately what I thought of. 100%. And so um, uh, me not being a super 
uh, you know, I'm not a theater fan. I know that you are. My wife is, and I was playing this record for her, and I was like, "Listen, I, I want to hear like your thoughts from a like a theater standpoint." And she said, "Sounds a lot like Sondheim. Like it sounds like there are Sondheim influences there. Stephen Sondheim from the '70s, and he, of course, has written a. T- I can't go through a list and tell you. You probably know more Sondheim musicals than I do, but apparently his stuff was very complex, very hard to perform." Um, and some of the music is really difficult to exhibit as well. But uh, I found that I, I had I took like a little moment. This right here is is from the loneliness of creatures, and it sounds a bit like the opening of Company. Company was a, a, a um, oh my gosh, it's st- it, theater. It's a show, theater show that was uh, a musical. A musical. Thank you. So I was like, why can I not think of that word? But it was a musical. <laughs> Uh, Sondheim, I think he did in 1970, so like a few years prior to this, but just kind of sounds like a little bit of this. Listen to this. That's company. That whole part right there yep. where they're kind of kind of has uh, some of those those influences yeah. and such, you know, and I those was rounds. Also, yeah. Right? Yeah. The rounds yep. of that. And and that, that was a yes thing, too. Like, yes, that John Anderson yeah. did a lot, yep. too, in the early 70s yep. as well. So, you know, just tying in some of those things. So I, I just that was one of the things that she pointed out to me. And I was like, oh, that's a really that's a good point. So uh, possible uh, musical theatric, I mean, influences that are that are certainly there, um, which is not something new <laughs> and. 70s prog rock stuff either um just take genesis for example but anyway um anything else you'd like to say about this album no it's worth a listen it's worth i think so too yeah i think it's worth listening to uh maybe have different thoughts on it but i think it's worth listening to i also would add that it's probably worth listening to uh 347 est as well uh, just to know what the rave was all about. Like, oh, this is the album that everybody thought was the Beatles. Not necessarily this one, but I just think that this one is a better record um, than 347, in my personal opinion. And I don't think that we would probably end up doing any of their other records. Possibly. Maybe we will at some point. But either way, I think this is kind of the staple Klaatu record. So anyway. Well, before we tell you guys what album we are going to be covering on our next episode, we first just just want to say thank you so much for listening to our episode. These are our prog notes for Hope by Klatsu. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, maybe you learned something new from the episode like I did in the research here, subscribe, follow us with the link tree in the description. would love to have you join us on our ride and journey of discovering all types of progressive rock music, new, old, all of the things. There on the link tree, you can find our Discord community. You can find our social media pages if you'd like to follow us there. And our Patreon, if you would like to support us monthly and what we get to do. This stuff isn't free. We like to continue to put episodes out for people. And if you enjoy what you're hearing today, would love it if you wouldn't mind just sending a dollar, sending $3 our way, and we'll give you a couple of of, uh, small little perks for the show, and that would just greatly support what we get to do each month. Also, don't forget to follow the Spotlight podcast feed on the link tree as well. Again, it's linktree.com slash prognotes. There will be another interview coming there soon. We've interviewed all kinds of really incredible artists. You need to check it out. Rogan interviews some really, really great people. Um, Drew, uh, before we close for this record or for this episode, uh, what record, what's happening next? What are we doing next episode? It's a surprise. Oh, boy. Look at that. It's going to be one fun. of them there surprises. 
good old surprise there for you. It's gonna be fun. Watch out. It's gonna be fun. So join us next. I'm done with that. Okay. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. We'll see you guys on Discord. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.